Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On this week's episode, I am joined by the architect and writer Kimbro Frutiger. Kimbro originally studied classical languages and archaeology at Amherst College, focusing on Greek era reconstruction sites in Sicily before going on to study architecture at Yale. As a writer, Kimbrough is interested in architectural history and culture and has written for a variety of publications and is currently at work on a new book project. In this episode, Kimbrough and I talk about his varied educational background and how that influences his current work as both an architect and as a writer. We also talk about how he started writing and the relationship between his writing work and his design work, as well as the different types of criticism and history and how he positions his writing within the larger architectural discourse. This is a really interesting one, and I think Kimbrough has a really interesting and unique story that I just loved hearing more about. If you're a fan of the podcast and want to help support it, you can become a member for $5 a month or $50 a year. Members get an exclusive monthly newsletter that I think of as the director's commentary for the podcast. The next issue is going out later this week. Each month, I share additional content and episode previews, short essays related to themes of the podcast and whatever else happens to be on my mind. These memberships really help keep the podcast going. I just appreciate all of your support and hope that you enjoy this conversation with Kimbro Frutiger. like yourself who are both uh, kind of practitioners and writers, what came first for you? Was it the interest in architecture or was it the, the interest in writing? I think it, oh, that's so hard to answer <laughs> because I, you know, I was interested in architecture at a freakishly young age, um, you know, when I was, you know, nine or 10 mm. and um but I also always wanted to uh, write novels, which is a, you know, I, I think I knew from the beginning that I was just in, I, I knew as a child I was incapable of doing that. <laughs> um, and so this was, so I sort of compensated by writing about um, architecture, which of course is very different than writing fiction usually. Um, but um yeah, so it's it's hard to really say what came first, and and I see the two things for me is very wrapped up in one another. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things which I was I was thinking about where all all my sort of what I do comes from before we started talking, and part of it has to do with I think growing up during the Reagan era Mm. and especially you know I was I was more or less 13 in 1984 which was Mm. you know everyone was obsessed with Orwell in 1984 and when I was growing up there was a really strong sense that um, that people told stories that um, people in power told stories that served themselves and were not necessarily true and that you had to, you know, you just couldn't believe this stuff and you had to go and figure it out for yourself and that <laughs> it wasn't necessarily a big mystery, you know. It's like these people were just lying to you and, the, you know, the truth was sort of, you know, it wasn't buried under <laughs> layers. It was pretty obvious if you wanted to go look for it. Yeah. Um, and that's that's something I think I've internalized and that's a, that's a very, in some ways, a very dangerous way to lead your professional <laughs> life because... You know, yeah. it's, you know, for me, um, 
a lot of the writing I do. And I would draw a distinction, I think, between an obvious distinction, I think, between critical writing and um, and just sort of historical research writing. Um, and um, a lot of the writing I do begins with um, just going back to histories, usually mm-hmm. architectural histories from post-war architectural histories and, uh, and trying to actually understand them as they were as I sort of right. understood at the time rather than now, and then try to critique them, um, which is very different than just trying to critique things with the, with the sort of received understanding that, that people have now. Right. Um, so that's a long answer to yeah. the question. No, it's a, it's a great answer. I, you, I feel like you just set up a bunch of the other questions that I was hoping to talk to you about everything oh, from, good, from good. kind of the difference between history and, you know, kind of, you know, writing critically versus historically, kind of talking about architecture within kind of larger context. A bunch of the things I want to talk to you about, you've already started hitting on. So let me try to try to pick some of this apart a little bit. I have a quick question because you you kind of glossed over something, and I, I promise we won't spend the whole conversation talking about your nine year old interest in writing novels oh. and architecture. Okay. But um, where can can you talk a little bit more about you know how how because you said you you got into architecture you were interested in architecture from a young age where did that come from and the reason uh, just to preface this I was the same way I I I actually before graphic design wanted to be an architect um Mm -hmm. at a very young age and then as I got older I realized that the thing I was actually interested in was graphic design and that that was the thing that I had kind of been doing but I architecture was the closest thing that I knew about. So what what was that like for you? How did how did you kind of get interested in architecture? Oh, well, certainly there were underlying psychological problems that led to it, but um but I I grew up in a small college town mm-hmm. and there was there was obviously a college campus which was you know like a lot of these campuses very like, sort of architecturally dense and, right. and interesting. Um, there was actually, there still is a building by Paul Rudolph there because no mm. one can figure out how to tear it down because it's all made out of concrete. Um, <laughs> yeah. And also when I was growing up, um, you know, it was the sort of, you know, when I was an adolescent, it was a sort of onset of the postmodern era. And there were several actually very good um uh, sort of not they really were postmodern they weren't neo-historicists they were postmodern buildings that were being built on the campus which fascinated me um and one was the library and the other was mm-hmm. the dining hall so they were buildings with very sort of interesting um varied interiors um that you could spend time in which was also um nice right. um and also a lot of it was you know, we used to go to Boston a lot and my father would take me to all the museums in Boston and and I I sort of can't explain this, but um, you know, we used to go to the Fogg Museum at Harvard and this was when the uh the James Sterling sort of pseudo edition was being built, mm-hmm. the Sackman mm-hmm. Museum. And I was just fixated on that. I, I have you know, and I was twelve years old or something at the time. It was it was totally unnatural. Um, but I, you know, I, yeah. I, I don't know where this comes from, but the, all these sort of weird, 
sort of strange, really, really <laughs> yeah. sophisticated postmodern manifestations I was fixated on at a young age. I was very similar in that I kind of, you know, kind of got... I would I would see buildings and things like that and just get kind of obsessed with them. Um, so you went. So then, when you when you went to college, you originally studied uh, classical languages and archaeology, right? And what was so? What was what was that like? Oh, it was awful. Um, <laughs> I was I was so bad. I was so bad at um, at Greek and Latin. Um, I was just terrible. Um, but the the sort of um, the sort of good outcome of that, or bad, if you, you know, depending on what perspective you take, is I got to spend a semester in Rome okay. when I was nineteen, which of course really, you know, that sort of screwed me up forever. I mean, I was, I, yeah, you know, that gave that gave me a sense of architecture which is very different than I think most Americans have because I, you know, just was, you know, obsessed with mass and ruins and. You know what is left after two thousand years, after everything else erodes away, and marble patterns, and you know, and baroque sort of compositional effects and things like that. Um, so yeah, so when I went to grad school, I had all that in my head rather than you know, light and transparency and steel frames and whatever else you know most people do. Right. How did that? How did both that experience in Rome, but then also studying these languages and studying archaeology. How did that, when you then went to Yale to study architecture, how did that background kind of filter into the way you approached your work and were thinking about your architecture studies? Mm -hmm. Well, obviously there was a, there was a huge amount of, of historical awareness in doing classical studies. Um, and, um, because you know, it's all it's all in the past, you know, <laughs> right? There's, right. There's no, there's very little sense that you're moving forward with this stuff. You're just sort of looking back at it and and taking it to pieces um, and and looking for new information in it, which is you know which is a pretty clear model for what I've ended up doing with mm -hmm. a lot of my writing. Um, but um, so at Yale, it was it was a funny time at Yale because. I went to school there from 91 to 94 and that of course you know we all thought that you know modernism was going was dead and that uh, well you know and that we were going to be doomed to doing pink pediments for the rest of our right, lives right. Um, but but in fact by the time that you know by 1991 postmodernism and historicism was out of fashion in the schools we were all doing very sort of um not, I wouldn't say modernist work, but it wasn't explicitly historicist. But there was still this this leftover historical interest, and I remember a lot of us looking very closely at the history of modernism, mm. um, and especially at um, you know not you know not very well known European modernisms like Swiss modernism and and some aspects of British modernism. Um, as well as you know all the things that everyone looks at or claims to look at, like Mies and Corb and Grobius, mm -hmm. um, right? And so, so I mean that was it was it was actually a, a really interesting time to go to school because it was sort of right before computers, at least at Yale. Um, so we did everything by hand, more oh, or less. Yeah. 
and there was still uh, there was there was still this real historical awareness, but it wasn't a historical awareness of the shingle style. It was a historical awareness of you know what some you know some guy had been doing in um, you know Zurich and right. fifty five and, right. um, and you know it was I it was it was a it was sort of the wilderness years, but it was a neat yeah. Time. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, and this question will lead into uh, the kind of larger question that you started touching on earlier about kind of how you see uh, architecture and writing all kind of wrapped up. But I'm interested, when you were there, maybe you can't even kind of separate them as you think about it, but were you kind of interested in the historical side, in that kind of research side, even like the archaeological side, or were you interested in designing and building and making and then how did those start to come together to be that you could be someone who does both yeah well i was you know i was i was sort of sick of writing at that point okay. i mean I, okay. I had gone through you know four years of right. art college and writing and writing and writing and writing and i was like thank god now i just get to draw <laughs> um but um you know i let me let me tell you a very specific story. I think it was, gosh, it was the first semester I was there. We did, um, you know, we did these building analyses and sort of paired buildings together. And I was working with a group of people who were doing shinkles. Um, uh, yeah, it's, oh, now I'm going to forget. It's the Altus Museum in Berlin. God, I'm getting old. And um, the and then the Neumann National Gallery Mises building which is being renovated right now and mm. and we um did this big photo collage which was about you know sort of trends in german history and um and sort of dangerous parallels between schinkel's sort of romanticist um context and what happened later and how that might tie into these you know mises idea of universal space and, mm -hmm. and how you know, German society went totally off the rails, um, you know, in the 30s. And, you know, we presented this and one of the, um, one of the instructors who was, I'll just say was older, um, <laughs> was, um, was entirely nonplussed by this. And he, you know, asked everyone, well, you know, don't you think that, you know, we can analyze buildings, you know, independent of their historical context. I was sitting there thinking, what's wrong with this guy? I mean, <laughs> right. I mean why would you ever do that? And what possible value could that have? Um, I mean, I'm not, I do see that that could have some value, but I think that, I think that, you know, I was always inclined to see buildings as, as cultural objects that right. came right. from, you know, certain, you know, contexts rather than as, you know, oh, you know, this is something that's just floating in space and mm -hmm. we can grab hold of it and diagram it and compare it to other diagrams, blah, blah, blah. So, um, so that, so that, yeah, I mean, that's a long answer to your question, but yeah, I mean, I, I was always immersed in that. So I, I'm, I'm, I, you said something really interesting that I want to try to articulate a question to, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do it in a in a clear way. But, um, you know, what you were talking about is kind of seeing buildings as part of kind of specific cultures and not these things that are kind of just floating and they kind of come out of nowhere. 
is something that really struck me in your writing and something that I really like a lot, especially uh, in architecture. And as a graphic designer, I try to think about, especially when I'm teaching students about design history, is that, that these kind of styles and, and designers don't emerge out of nothing, that there are kind of these specific conditions and cultures and politics and economics that kind of influence all of these things. And I, I get that in your writing. And I'm curious how, I guess the question that I'm trying to ask is, how does that knowledge, how does that research, how does that writing influence your work as an architect, that as someone who's also designing things, how do you kind of think about that when you're kind of creating new things? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, my first, my first sort of thought about that is that it's sort of, it's sort of an emotional prop, actually, because mm-hmm. one of the anxieties you have as an architect is, you know, how creative you're being and <laughs> how you're fixing yourself. And the nice thing about, you know, realizing that everything is really embedded in, in its situation is that you, you start to understand that, you know, if you really are aware of the particular situation you're working in, the specifics of one project you're doing, you're going to do something that's unique and um, whether it's special or not, who knows, but you're going to do something that's, you know, that stands on its own um, because, or it has, it doesn't stand on its own, but it has its own qualities. Um, And certainly a lot of my work, a lot of my design work, especially in the last 10 years, a lot of it has been, you know, just sort of developed out of me pondering the the specifics of the program and the site and things like that. And then just in terms of, you know, the expression of it, just sort of letting my hand or my, you know, my, my inclinations or my tendencies just go where they will, because I feel like, you know, it's really anchored in, in what it needs to be. And right. I can just sort of dilate on that. Do you, I, I, I want to come back to kind of what you were talking about at the very beginning about how you see writing and architecture as, as really kind of wrapped up for you. And I'm curious how, you know, these things that you're thinking about, how do they manifest themselves in writing versus in architecture projects? Are those different do, do you see those as related? Are the things that you're kind of working through and thinking about, do they come out in both mediums? Or are there certain things that you're like, this is architecture, this is an essay? You know you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, and, you know, I don't know how how consciously I can answer that question. I mean, <laughs> right, of course. Every, every, everything is, is tied together. I think that, I think that I've, I feel like I have a lot more control and um, yeah. and um, sort of authority when I'm writing about <laughs> right, things. Right. I, honestly, I mean, maybe I shouldn't come out and say this in a semi-public forum, but I, I feel like I am, you know, I am much, I'm much more competent at writing about things than designing things. Oh, interesting. Everyone who designs things has, you know, real, well, not everyone, but almost everyone has real hangups about what, what they do is really good. <laughs> Whereas my, my sort of writing work, I mean, I feel like, yeah, I don't see many other people doing this. And yeah. I, 
I think it's really good, and I don't have hang-ups about that. Um, so, but that's that's not quite the question you were asking. Um, yeah, I think that I think that in some ways, the you know, a lot of a fair amount of my writing about existing or historical buildings is about their political or social context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I think that a lot of my work is it's at least aware, or at least I want to believe that architecture is always a political act. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, yeah. Which me... usually it's a complicit political act. Right, you know. right. Let me, let me ask the question in another way, because I think, I, I actually think this is really interesting. Do you, does, does the writing come out of things that you are working on? I guess you know these. The you know mm. as as you're kind of going through your design process, these questions that you're kind of raising. Do you then look at history and start to kind of form ideas that lead to essays, or or do you kind of see those as as separate yeah. separate tracks? Yeah, you know, my writing comes from buildings that I encounter usually. I mean, my big writing project which I'm which I'm working on now which is is an expansion of a lot of stuff that I did for Dokomomo which were right. buildings that I ran into around New York City which were mysterious to me which I ended up writing about um, and a lot of the other buildings that I write about uh, are things that I've known about for a long time I don't know if you've read the the article on um, uh, ben Thompson designed uh, Women's College, which was sort of a partner college to Hamilton up in um, up mm. in you know, upstate New York. Or yeah, I don't Central think I read this one. Oh, that that's 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 one of the good ones. Um, okay. I'll I'll just point out the stuff that's on my website is really old and bad, by the way. Okay, so, okay. those are the ones I read the, first. Yeah, no, those are those are oh god, those are so embarrassing. Anyway. <laughs> Um, no, you should read. You should read the one about. Um, I'll send you this. Um, but that was that was about um, a, a project by Ben Thompson, and this is this is sort of humorous to me, and sort of sort of really a little bit worrisome. But a lot of the things I'm interested in are things that I was exposed to as a child. Um, mm. I'm really interested in Ben Thompson's work um, because. You know, when we went to Boston as a child, um, I saw a fair amount of his work at Harvard, not knowing what it was, and um, also Faneuil Hall, which is mm. which is one of his first festival marketplace, which is a really fascinating, uh, fascinating project. Um, I think that people are sort of misled by the later development of that kind of stuff and can't really see what's so interesting about it, but. But anyways, where where was I going with this? Yeah, where the where the kind of writing comes from is that rooted in in kind of stuff you're working on or in or kind of you know buildings you encounter. Yeah. It it is it is buildings I encounter, and in some ways, for me, it really is all about the buildings. Right. Um, it, it's all about. It's not about the context and finding the buildings to fit it. It's not about the ideas and finding the buildings to fit it. It's about seeing the buildings and being interested in them and wanting to know what they're about and mm-hmm. finding out what that context is. And I've been very fortunate in either by chance or intuition getting interested in buildings that tend to have 
extremely interesting and 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 stories associated with them with really wide-ranging implications it's it's a bit uncanny actually yeah I pat myself on the back <laughs> for that, but, but anyways yeah i i think that's interesting because i was struck in the pieces that i had read of yours and this can connect to uh the larger question around kind of criticism and and, and history is uh a lot of the the essays you had written i that i had read i started them thinking they were almost reviews of buildings they were kind of very specific and then as the piece goes on you start to kind of unwrap this larger narrative about its history and kind of where it came from and it, it becomes a lot of them become something different than what i think they are after the first couple paragraphs and I, i'm i'm curious if maybe you can talk about that a little bit and then also then about what you were saying earlier about kind of differences between criticism and kind of more historical writing and where you see your writing fitting into that kind of matrix. Yeah, well, I guess this goes back to when I was saying, um, you know, that my early articles now strike me as so naive and underinformed because <laughs> a lot of buildings, you know, you look at and you think they're, you know, if the, unless they're very you know, conventional or fairly recent, you think they're one thing and they turn out to be something not very different, but substantially different. Um, just to take an example, um, you know, the one of the buildings I write about is, um, you know, the First Presbyterian Church yeah, House, which, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, which is a building that everyone sort of knows about because right. it's on Fifth Avenue and 12th Street and everyone's sort of curious about it. And, you know, and it turns out that it was designed by some guy who went to Taliesin. Yeah. Uh, and, and it turns out that that some guy, you know, Edgar Taffel was, it was definitely the best thing he ever did, but he did an awful lot of that kind of stuff. And, um, also he was very involved in, um, in, so I guess what today we would call progressive causes, um, mm relative to architecture in uh, New York City and a lot of a lot of his career seems to be positioning himself in some stable place um, you know relative to Frank Lloyd Wright who didn't right. really care about any of you know didn't care mm -hmm. about anyone himself basically and Taffel's career was sort of about caring about everyone else right um, and trying to do things that made people happy and fit in um, and also doing projects for um, for um, settlement houses for um, for underprivileged kids and things like that um, and you know and these these things you know and it's not something you ever think looking at that building I mean that you know the whole right. you know it's just and this stuff all unfolds from, you know, these buildings. I and mean, there are a lot of buildings which are totally banal. You know, they were designed by Emery Roths and Sons. And, you know, and just, that's <laughs> yeah. the story. They were designed by Emery Roth and Sons. And that's why they look exactly the way they do. Um, but um, there there are a lot of other buildings. that Well, actually, there aren't that there aren't that many interesting buildings in the world, unfortunately, but, <laughs> um, but yeah. any, almost any interesting yeah. building, once you start to unfold it, there are really wild stories about 
how it happened because it's it's difficult to do a good building or interesting building yeah um, and people didn't have the sort of star architect model back then where right. everyone was looking for something fancy it's just like you know these things happen because something was really weird going on and great and right yeah. yeah i mean i love that you brought up that the first presbyterian piece too that was one of the first i had read of yours and you're exactly right i've walked by that building probably hundreds of times and did not know that story uh, and that history, and I, I found that so fascinating. Um, so do you consider your writing criticism? I guess I consider it to be more cultural criticism mm. than... Um, I mean, I... I am less interested... God, I really... I'm a very judgmental person and I <laughs> love to sort of say oh this is good this is bad right. but in my writing you know I don't think it matters to other people so much whether I think something is good or bad yeah or maybe it's more that I know what's good and bad and if other people don't you know yeah yeah um but I think that I don't I am only writing about something because I think it's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm also fascinated by things that are bad. Like I'm fascinated <laughs> by Charles Walkney's work. You know, oh, he's yeah, yeah. a terrible, terrible architect, but it's fascinating how, how bad, you know, you know, the sort of way of being bad his work has. It's you know, <laughs> right. fascinating. Yeah. Um, and, you know, actually, I mean, I'll give him his due. He did, you know, at a small scale early on, he did, Barely, he did actually really good work, and then it turned out that he couldn't do anything larger than a house, and you know, it was faster. But enough about him. But um, yeah, so I, I, I think it's sort of, in some ways, not the point of criticism to say something is good or bad. I think it's the point of criticism to say why something is the way it is and yeah. how it has a negative or positive impact on us. Yeah, I love that. Do you do you have a this is this is potentially a weird question. Do you are you writing for somebody or do you have an audience in mind when you're writing things or does this kind of purely come out of like you were just saying your interest and then you mm -hmm. kind of leave it to the publication to whatever to kind of find that audience or how do you kind of think about that? Yeah, I write for myself. I admit yeah. it. I you know I write the things that I I want to read about. Um, and I've been very fortunate um, that you know I write a lot for Dokomomo, mm -hmm. and um, and I have an editor who does um, a lot of stuff for Dokomomo, Kathleen Randall in New York City, who's you know really. Um, you know, really got me to, you know, she really jump-started me doing this. And so, you know, it's all her fault. But um, so, no, it's great. Um, and so a lot of this stuff comes out just through Dokomomo. Um, and that's that's good. I mean, the and then I have a, you know, the book project I'm working right. on, which is basically a, a massive expansion of the stuff that I, a lot of the essays that I've already done. In, in the course of which I've realized how naive those essays are. <laughs> of um, course, but, yeah. Yeah, but that is, in in some ways, yeah. I mean, I 
I I think, and I think this is true for a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of people who do this kind of stuff, is that I do it because I want to know about it, and I think other people should know about it. But you know, if it weren't, if I weren't really my primary audience, I'm not sure what the impetus would be. Right. Right. I I asked you earlier about kind of how studying the classical languages and archaeology and kind of how how writing influences how you think about architecture or how you you practice as an architect. I'm kind of curious about the inverse of that and you know, do you think that studying architecture, being an architect has that influenced either how you write or your writing process or how you think about being a writer how do those kind of how does that kind of influence the other oh gosh um you, you know in terms of the, the sort of act of writing or the way i structure my writing mm-hmm. i you know because i have this sort of intensive liberal arts education i you know i think that a lot of my writing patterns were set really before <laughs> i learned how to you know what architectural conventions were so i think that i'm not sure it i mean it would be interesting if it sort of structurally affected the way yeah. that i put things together but it, it uh, i don't think it really does i oh, think interesting. That, yeah um i think that the way that it does it it does have an impact on content because you know when you when you practice you realize how you know petty for a lack of a better word or mm-hmm. you know a lot of the a lot of the reasons things happen are and um you also realize you know especially in architecture like a lot of the conventions of you know how things are waterproofed or you know or how yeah. Other, you know how those affect the you know the design i mean everyone talks about you know con and the bricks and things like that and no one talks about the flashing <laughs> yeah but um uh so i think that i mean in a way i have a bit of a chip on my shoulder about this that to talk about you know post-war architecture you almost do need to to understand the practice of architecture really well because so much of it's about you know how yeah. things are built with not in a craft way but with you know sort of commercial pro- products and how everything is influenced by real estate practices or by you know right. client whims and how a lot of things look the way they do because that's just the way that they have to look and not because anyone made an architectural decision about it yeah i that's yeah i I, I don't know if I have a question here other than, um, you know, maybe a, a mini rant that maybe you'll have some <laughs> thoughts on. Um, but, you know, when I started this this podcast and when I started really getting interested in design criticism, I was really frustrated in graphic design. And people who have listened to the podcast before have probably heard me say similar things to this. But I felt like so much of graphic design writing and graphic design criticism was kind of talking about like new logos or like book covers Mm -hmm. in a really superficial kind of visual Mm -hmm. aesthetic only way um Mm -hmm. and i don't necessarily have a problem with talking about a logo or a book cover or a you know magazine redesign for its aesthetics or its typography but it was it felt like 
you know, maybe this company changed their logo because of some business decisions or because of the marketing team. And it has nothing to do with the design mm-hmm. itself. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of like set out on this quest that I was like, oh, I kind of want to write about all this other stuff. And then, you know, when I started studying that, I was like, oh, well, maybe these stories aren't interesting. And it kind of ties back to what you were talking about earlier of a lot of buildings mm-hmm. not being interesting. I was like, oh, this logo changed just because they were having some business trouble or because a new CEO came in and wanted to, you know, make their mark. Um do you have any thoughts? I, I'm sorry, that's not really a question, but I, I sense that in architecture also, especially with kind of the rise of the Starkitect and mm-hmm. and kind of render culture that seems really popular right now, kind of just talking about renderings. And do you, does that spark anything in you? Or do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, in a way, there's two different kinds of criticism. There's sort of like, and, and you see a lot of architectural criticisms like this. I mean, recently I saw, and fortunately for me and whoever wrote this book, I won't be able to remember the title <laughs> of the book or the author, but some book that was all about, you know, oh, new ways of looking at things, you know, and I'm going to look at, you know, a hundred buildings. And, mm, and it yeah. was clear that it was just like this guy, like, these are my thoughts about looking at these buildings, right. you know, blah, 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 without much, if any, historical underpinning. And then there's, of course, the kind of criticism that I'm interested in, which is, you know, sort of yanking the covers off and seeing why things actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, I, I think that the, the best historical model for that, that I'm aware of is the writing of William Jordy, um, who, um, you know, he uh, was sort of around at the mid-century and did, you know, he did these long, long essays on Rockefeller Center and why, you know, it turned out the way it did and, you know, and all the all the business decisions that were involved in PSFS and, Mm. you know, how that developed and why it, you know, and how the air conditioning, you know. (laughs) Yeah the way it looks and um you know which is which was really you know has been a great model for me um and and those are just those are two different ways of of criticizing things and of course the way i do things is much more valid than the other way um (laughs) no i'm I'm not you know i think i think that if you're if you're the person who thinks of him or herself as yanking the covers off of everything and revealing what's really going on, then you're always going to be a little bit sort of looking askance at the people who are talking about the pattern on the bed sheet, you know, that you want to rip off. So, um, yeah, so I mean, I, I agree with you totally. It's like, you know, it's like talking about aesthetic objects as if they're just you know, talking about design objects as if you can perform art criticism on them, right? And then talk, doing it at a level that's not even as grounded as as good art criticism is. is you know, it's people do it because they don't know enough, um, and <laughs> most people don't know enough, and that's why most people do it. Um, yeah, and see, I'm sounding judgmental, but I said I was judgmental. So. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I I I agree with you um as judgmental as that might sound um it, it leads into i have two final questions to to wrap mm-hmm. this up and you start you mentioned someone already and you've mentioned a couple other books throughout but i'm curious who are the the writers or even the books that 
you're drawn to or have kind of influenced the way you think about your own writing practice? Mm-hmm. Oh, God, well, see, I'm, I have a, I mean, sadly for an historian, I have a terrible memory, so I'm just going to forget <laughs> everything. Um, a lot of them are, you know, I mean, Jordy is, mm-hmm. has been a real, it's, I, I don't know how much of an influence he's been to me, but he's been a real reinforcement to me to see that, you know, someone who is a well-known critic, you know, basically, you know, pursued things the way that I'd like to pursue things. Um, right. There are, you know, a couple of, oh, I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting some people who I'm really, really interested in. Um, uh, I, hmm. um, I think that a lot of, a lot of architect practitioners, um, I'm interested in, I mean, everyone is interested in the Smithsons and Team 10 now, but, right. um, I mean, I, you know, I mean, the Smithsons were great and a lot of their ideas about things, um, really do tie into my ideas about specificity, uh, and, and, you know, actually, I mean, this is a little bit weird, but Paul Rudolph, you know, everyone mm, thinks yeah. that, you know, he was, you know, that he just designed things and never thought about things. And in fact, he was, you know, he aspired to it, uh, you know, not a level of intellectualism, but he had very clear ideas about how things should relate to their situation. And he actually was very interested in a lot of the stuff that was going on in Britain at the time and would invite these people over to Yale. And obviously he was outclassed when they showed up, but, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I mean, the, the sort of, I guess I'm, I'm interested in some ways in, in architects whose thinking comes out in their work. Yeah. Um, more than more than writers but i'm sure that there are lots of writers i'm i'm forgetting about it's terrible my last question is and and again you started answering this a little bit i'm curious uh are there other subjects or topics right now that you're really interested in or that you are kind of writing about or thinking about right now well i mean i'm really focused on the new york stuff and Mm -hmm. trying to reconstruct um u.s architectural history in the 50s and 60s which is you know, it's incredibly misunderstood now, you know, in the 1980s, there was this sort of project of looking back at history, which was, um, which was also about rewriting post-war history to make it seem very different than it actually was. I mean, it's, I sound like a conspiracy theorist, but what everyone (laughs) think is, what everyone, what architects think is true about what happened in the U.S. after, you know, World War II is just, you know, it's just not what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, everyone was, you know, architects were not happy with what was going on. Everyone was a panic. Everyone knew that things were going off the rails. People felt like there were all these different ways of doing modernism and no one could choose between them. And uh, it was it was really messy um, and fascinating. Um, but so that's one thing I'm I'm focusing on. I mean, another thing that Oh, no, that's not interesting. I mean, that, <laughs> sorry, no, it really, it really isn't. I mean, I am putting a lot of effort into, basically, into the book because I'm right. also working. So, right, you know, so the, I mean, it's, it's really that. Um, it's really that, yeah. Yeah. And the book, of course, touches on so many things, and once it actually comes out, um, 
uh, in my <laughs> lifetime, I hope um, everyone will, will enjoy it. I'm sure. That sounds great. I can't wait. I can't wait to, uh, you know, I do hope, I do <laughs> hope that it comes out. It's a long process, I'm afraid. But yeah, I do hope that I it comes hope. out. And I think what you're talking about, about the, the, the kind of history and, and post-war architecture in New York, especially is, is interesting. And I, I'm very much looking forward to kind of reading what, what you're working on next. And, and I really enjoyed this conversation. I found it so interesting. So, uh, well, Kimbro, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Sure, sure. This episode was recorded on November 30th, 2018. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcast and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.